Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Alan Fine, the podcast editor of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. And today we're going to discuss uh, with uh, Katerina Eggersy, a uh, interventional pulmonology fellow at the University of Chicago, a topic that comes up occasionally, but one that is very difficult and often perplexes clinicians, and that's how to assess central or large airway uh, obstruction. And uh, I have recently had a a few cases that have uh, proved very difficult to deal with uh, and uh, were seen by a number of clinicians uh, before the ultimate diagnosis and definitive uh, treatment was arrived at. So uh, in this month's issue of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society, we published an article by Dr. Benoit Uh, on measuring central airway obstruction, and it was a survey of what bronchoscopists do. And thankfully, we had a follow-up editorial by Katerina uh, to try to make uh, sense sense of this. So uh, the, the first question I'd like to ask you is uh, when should the clinician suspect central or large airway obstruction? Uh, as I'm sure you're aware, a lot of these patients and the patients I recently have were being treated uh, for asthma. And it was only after a kind of a long and involved uh, clinical evaluation and clinical trials that central airway obstruction was suspected. So, so when should the clinician think about central airway obstruction? Absolutely, Dr. Fine. I agree with you that patients with central airway obstruction present a real challenge in terms of not only diagnosis and management, but also in truly defining the degree of narrowing and then correlating numerical values for future decision-making. What we know is that incidence of central airway obstruction and epidemiological data is actually not completely known, but patients with lung cancer have been shown to have central airway involvement in at least 40% of the time. Benign, traumatic, and malignant central uh, airway obstruction encompasses a pretty wide variety of etiologies and causes, and as you've mentioned, often may be misdiagnosed as asthma or even COPD exacerbation. We do see a large foreign body aspiration as a very dramatic, sudden onset presentation of central airway obstruction. However, majority of patients have slowly progressive symptoms that may be very subtle. In fact, it's really important to note that the trachea is typically significantly narrowed to a diameter of less than 8 millimeters before exertional dyspnea is present. In addition, if the lumen of the trachea is less than five millimeters, symptoms are present at rest. Because of this dramatic loss of the airway diameter before the development of symptoms, almost 54% of the patient with tracheal stenosis can present in respiratory distress. 
Oftentimes, cough, hemoptysis, wheezing, and stridor may be present in patients with central airway obstructions. Presence of these symptoms is largely dependent on the location, degree of narrowing, and comorbid condition. And previous physiological studies demonstrated that airflow physics, such as flow turbulence, is largely responsible for the presence of clinical symptoms. Well, let me ask you this as a as a follow up. How? Uh, well, what kind of symptoms differentiate uh, these patients from COPD or, or asthma? I, I've had interestingly a number of patients with central airway obstruction, chondromas, uh, squamous cell carcinomas referred by ENT physicians. Uh, who were uh, convinced that it was not their problem, but uh, in the area of the lung parenchyma. So is there anything that we can use to differentiate these patients earlier? Certainly. I think overall one could say that symptoms may be very subtle, as I mentioned before. Uh, furthermore, symptoms such as local wheezing um, are something to look for in terms of potential for presence of central airway obstruction. In addition to the dramatic symptom of strider may indicate tracheal stenosis and or central airway obstruction in the trachea itself. Otherwise, patients may, again, have hemoptysis or wheezing or even cough that is not responsive to the typical treatment such as bronchodilator, antibiotic therapy, and so forth. Uh, let, let me ask you, is, is there a role for uh, standard pulmonary function testing and the chest X-ray uh, that, that might be done ev even in uh, primary care uh, physicians? Well, what, what do you think about that? Certainly. Um, what we do know is that um, chest X-ray, physical examination, pulmonary function tests are typically performed as a baseline of a workup of patient presenting with a suspicion for central airway obstruction. However, spirometry is really not reliable for quantifying the degree of central airway obstruction as it doesn't really identify the exact location, extent, or even morphology of the airway narrowing. And it also has very low sensitivity for de detecting mild to moderate reduction in airway caliber. Um, Image-based quantification, such as chest X-ray or even multi-detector computer tomography, are dependent really on the respiratory cycle, anatomy, and then presence of secretions. Um, they're also interpreted by radiologists, which may have inter- and intra-observer variability. Furthermore, it may be really difficult to perform in critically ill patients, um, since you may not have patient cooperation, especially with anti-inspiratory breath-holding maneuver. Well, uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, what, what, what do you think the uh, best techniques are for measuring central uh, airway obstruction? Let me hear what you have to say. I'd also like mm -hmm. to hear your uh, opinion about the utility of um, morphometric bronchoscopy. Maybe tell the listeners a little bit about that. Absolutely. 
So as we mentioned, pulmonary function tests, a careful physical examination and baseline imaging probably still play a significant role in evaluation of probable central airway obstruction. Um, however, they're highly unspecific and ultimately flexible and or rigid bronchoscopy remain the de facto gold standard for diagnosis of central airway obstruction and therapeutic decision making. In terms of morphometric bronchoscopy, we have significant body of literature that supports its use. And what morphometric bronchoscopy is, it's really a quantitative analysis of the form. And it's a concept that encompasses size and shape. So what morphometric bronchoscopy does, it utilizes a widely available image processing software um, that is able to accurately calculate cross-sectional area of the stenosis from the still images taken during bronchoscopy. And once this is performed, then a calculation of what's called a stenotic index can be performed. This tool has been validated in pediatric and adult literature and really allows for objective quantification of um, cross-sectional area as well as the stenotic index. Once this is performed, we're able to utilize it in a way that allows us to make correct therapeutic decision in terms of treatment and furthermore management of central airway obstruction. I don't get the impression that this is uh, uh, in common use. Do you think it's something that can be um, used in the community as well as academic centers? We can postulate that due to cumbersome need of having the process still, imaging, uh, still images after bronchoscopy, uh, as well as having very strict methods of image acquisition and time spent in data processing, this is not widely spread. Currently, what we've learned um, is bronchoscopists and physicians are employing different tools for measuring central airway obstruction as well as cross-sectional area of the stenosis. I, I was just going to say that this maybe is the message of uh, the uh, Begno paper, and uh, maybe as you get into this, uh, explain what the message of uh, his uh, paper on measuring central airway obstruction, what the take-home message is. Absolutely. So the study by Beno actually demonstrates several points. So what it does is surveys approximately 118 responses on the degree of central airway obstruction due to malignant obstruction. And then these responses are compared to the semi-quantitative baseline of cross-sectional area that is calculated based on still images and then processed use, using the image processing software. These findings of this study really reproduce previous survey performed and published by uh, Mergo et al. that identify that qualitative estimation and measuring tools are widely inaccurate. And pulmonologists tend to uh, either under or overestimate the degree of narrowing by using just visual estimation alone as compared to such measurements as performed by morphometric bronchoscopy, which is a more objective or quantifying a validated tool. So 
the interesting point that responders in the study really all acknowledge that better and more user-friendly methods are needed for correct identification of central airway obstruction. However, no one truly goes out on the limb to say as to what those methods will be. And um, none of their survey responders respond to using the objective methods such as morphometric bronchoscopy. So from what we can understand from the study, this estimation of degree of central airway narrowing and then making correct therapeutic as well as management decision in terms of what you're going to do with central airway obstruction is a true challenge for current practice um, and majority of providers still use semi-qualitative techniques to describe the presence of central airway obstruction. I, I just like to ask you, you know, one of the things that always perplexes me and is a challenge is uh, uh, is it always safe to do bronchoscopy when you suspect upper airway or central airway obstruction? Uh, uh, when we sh should we uh, back off? Should we be using rigid bronchoscopy? What do you want to tell us? I think this is a very difficult question to answer. Um, however, if critical airway narrowing is suspected, um, it's always best not to just take a look. Um, I think at that point in time, it's always best to seek advice of an experienced uh, interventional bronchoscopist, uh, ENT, uh, or even a thoracic surgeon to allow a multidisciplinary discussion before any procedure or intervention is taken. So, so really what you're saying is we have to individualize it and hopefully we have uh, enough pre-procedure information to know how, how to approach it, which, which makes the most sense to me. So uh, this was a great discussion, and I, I just wondered if you have uh, any uh, summary recommendations. If we suspect uh, central uh, airway obstruction, uh, uh, how should it be approached, and what techniques would you recommend? It sounds like... Uh, Morphometric uh, bronchoscopic evaluation is not quite ready for prime time, but, but let me hear what you have to say about this. Well, to continue more on that point, um, I think I would like to mention something about the future of bronchoscopy. And I think the future is bright um, because as technology continues to move forward, our knowledge and expertise will become more unified and will become more reproducible. So this may mean a development of tools and potentially devices and software that are a lot more user-friendly and then will allow for input of objective data that could be then objectively interpreted. So we know that development of flexible bronchoscope will also continue to potentially combine optical technology with ability to integrate and process images into a predetermined data set that will allow bronchoscopists to produce quantitative objective analysis and make decisions based on that data. So essentially what we're talking about is a bronchoscope um, as a device that will allow the capture of the data from the objective standpoint um, and will take all of the guesswork of on the term of bronchoscopist in terms of trying to guesstimate the degree of narrowing or the degree of cross-sectional area.
Um, and the only thing that is going to be left to the bronchoscopist is really data acquisition and subsequent processing and then correct decision-making in the future. Now, now this will be real-time acquisition, or this, this is something that gets uh, processed later? I hope for an absolute real-time data acquisition. We know right now that morphometric bronchoscopy uses the processed later software and um, data that it outputs um, by the calculation that the software provides, and hence that's what makes it so cumbersome because bronchoscopists have, um, have to have very strict data acquisition standards and then subsequently take still pictures, download them in the, into the computer, and then use the software to measure the cross-sectional area and then calculate the stenotic index. And I think that that extra step or extra two steps, this is what is making morphometric bronchoscopy a tool that is not widely popular. However, if we have something that is combined into one single step where the bronchoscope is able to acquire the data for you and potentially after you're finished with the procedure, this number can be, i.e., the cross-sectional area and potentially stenotic index can be processed within minutes, uh, this would be widely utilized by the bronchoscopy just because, bronchoscopist just because of the ease of use. Well, Katerina, uh, I want to thank you for a uh, wonderful discussion, and uh, I feel much more optimistic that the future of bronchoscopy uh, remains bright. This is Dr. Alan Fine, the uh, podcast editor of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society, and we have been discussing the currently available uh, paper, Current Approaches to Assessing the Degree of Airway Narrowing by uh, Dr. Zegasi and Margu, and uh, we've also discussed uh, Dr. Benoit's paper on measuring central airway obstruction. I hope you found this as useful and interesting as I did.